the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show Thanksgiving week. I hope that you are doing well or where, wherever you may be. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join the conversation. And uh, some of you wondered if I made my my plane on Friday. Friday, we were at the uh, rescue mission, uh, Union Rescue Mission for the turkey fry. And we're done at 5 o'clock, and I had to be uh, on a 7 o'clock flight. And yes, I made it. Uh, I'm one of those people, you know, I'm that guy. I can get to the airport at the very last second possible, and uh, it just doesn't stress me out for some reason. But um, I went to Phoenix, actually, to to get my parents and then drive them back to Los Angeles, which I did over on Saturday. So I spent the night Friday, drove back here, and uh, we're all here for the week. So we're looking forward to all of that time. My parents, who are probably listening, and I love you, Mom and Dad, they like to get to the airport like four hours early. You know, they're, sometimes they're so early that they won't even let you bag, you know, check your luggage. I think that's four hours. I think if it's four hours, you can check your luggage. And, uh, you know, they're eating at the airport chilies or something, just watching all the people. But anyway, somehow I got the opposite gene with all of that. Anyway, that all worked out. You probably have family coming into town. And are you worried about the conversation with family, with so many tensions that we have in our country now? Are you worried about maybe this has been a thing for you for a while? You know, and it's changed. When I was a kid, most of, you know, we had family gatherings and some were Democrats and some were Republicans and everybody would kind of argue and laugh and, and, uh, but we would, we would love each other the whole time. It didn't really change anything, you know, as far as how we felt about each other. But I think that is something that, uh, some people have experienced where you've lost relationships because of the controversial element of things. And I think people don't like to really get in deep with it a little bit. And uh, right now, when we're, what we're seeing on the news with so many people uh, with the protests and uh, much of it being a very, you know, anti-Semitic and some pretty harsh things being said, uh, and there's harsh things being said, you know, kind of all around, but most of it is um, very openly anti-Semitic. This is uh, Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, who has asked about it. What do you make of this as a Jewish American, a proud progressive, a Democrat, there's anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party these days. Well, I mean, there's anti-Semitism everywhere these days, as we were discussing yeah. with Elon Musk. And um, I mean, we're talking about a problem that goes back thousands of years, obviously. Um, I was very disappointed to see what happened over at the DNC the other day. Um, I mean, I'm glad that there are young people who are taking an interest in peace and social justice and those people I encourage, but <clears throat> for those who are um, somehow tempted to engage in pushing and shoving like, uh, mm. you know, Kevin McCarthy, um, 
yeah, in Congress, but doing it outside. I'm totally opposed to that. They should study the history of nonviolent movements in America. I found that to be, he's making a joke about Kevin McCarthy. There's a whole brouhaha about former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, maybe elbowing somebody in the hallways, and that's what he's kind of making a joke about there. It's a, it's a weird thing that's going on inside the, the Congress, but not really the same issue. You know, and he's talking about, you know, and he's trying to, and I think it's all right to do that, to, to recognize that some people really want to have a conversation about what's happening in the Israel-Hamas uh, war, and other people have just decided to come out with the opinions that they have that is something that they have been taught. And I guess I'm thinking of this, if you're, if you're a younger person and you're coming home and you feel like you're at odds with your parents or odds with your grandparents or anybody over these things, it really is worth taking some time to study the history and to study uh, what kinds of things are being taught and why. Like if you want to bridge the gap getting to a place of what really happened and studying truth and trying to get past whatever, um, you know, whatever indoctrination, and that is what it is that's out there, you have to do it. And to be at a place where we're just so divided that we can't do it and where it interrupts family, it is worth taking the time to talk it out and to really think and to look up, look through history. Like there is stuff that is um, not really unclear. It's just if you're not taught a certain way, then uh, you may not realize. And that's something I think for all of us, there might be all kinds of issues that your family might argue with, not just politics, but maybe it's religion or maybe you're Christian, but you go to different denominations or a different uh, style of worship or stuff. You know, the the arguments that sometimes divide us uh, you can overcome those by actually getting to a place where you just decide, you know, maybe I heard it wrong and investigate. You might find that you heard it right, uh, but you also might find that there's something else going on. People are worried about the students, and uh, I'm concerned, you know, about, you know, the the level of misunderstanding of really what's going on in the Middle East, what is happening in history um, from a a system that has taught really often the wrong things for decades now. This is Education Secretary Cardona, who is talking about uh, young people on TikTok who read a letter, 2002 letter from Osama bin Laden, and decided that they agree with it. There's been a bunch of stories about the viral nature of a TikTok video of people reading the letter from Osama bin Laden. It's stunning to those of us who were alive during 9-11, and yet millions upon millions of people uh, have viewed it. Does it say something about the education system, about social media platforms, about algorithms? Yeah. How, how do you view that as the education secretary? You're right, Phil. It is stunning. I was a school principal when that happened, and uh, that impacted how we taught students and how we protected students uh, that day. Um, I, I do believe it, it is a lot, there's a lot of misinformation, and we have a responsibility collectively to make sure we're guiding students on how to um, look for misinformation, how to be educated consumers of information. But I also think we need to continue to work with parents to make sure that they're aware of what tools they have at their disposal to limit misinformation from students and uh, protect their students. Now, there have been some suggestions and a new curriculum for our schools about how to limit misinformation and how to help people be educated in the media. The trouble is, is if you don't even trust where that curriculum is coming from, then how do you know? How do you deep dive into some of the issues that 
might be dividing us, especially when we're talking about friends and family, when we're thinking about holidays coming up and gathering. Maybe you just avoid the the subjects altogether, but I don't think that that is something that happens with deep relationships. I suppose there's certain things you just don't talk about. There's family things that you don't talk about and all of that. But we have pretty serious uh, things going on in our country that have to do with our freedoms that are going to impact elections, that are going to impact everybody's lives. We've got to be telling the truth. This is on the Bill Maher program uh, this past week. And the kids now have jumped on TikTok from supporting Hamas to supporting Osama bin Laden. Is this the Tide Pods? Is this the eating the Tide? Is this where this is coming from? Are their minds literally poisoned now? Okay. Yeah, they get, you know, half of them is coming from where they're supposed to be learning from. There's a teacher in Maryland. She had to go on leave because she posted on Facebook that uh, Israel is uh, trying to steal the organs of Palestinians. That's why there's a war there. They're stealing the organs. Okay, kids, I just want to tell you, this is ridiculous. My agent takes 10%, but it's nothing like this. That's kind of a funny joke, but uh, that came from a teacher. And that is something that we all have to recognize is that we are a, as parents, as family in a position where we may have to undo certain things that maybe teachers have taught. And that is the the direction of things. How do we do that? I'm going to give you an example of how to maybe peel something apart here that maybe will help you kind of follow up. But you got to do your own study because maybe I'm I'm going to play a clip and maybe you're going to hear some names of people and you don't know anything about that. And if you don't really look into it, maybe it's convincing. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is a recording of a uh, professor, and there's some there's some debate online of uh, who this professor is, okay? Um, and so I'm going to be, I want to be careful about who it is because I don't want to... Um, to besmirch this person uh, in a way because they're saying it's a it's somebody else who was arrested for doing something really bad. I don't know that that's true, but what he says goes to help me with my point. All right, so this is a professor at uh, one of our local schools who has asked, um, should we blame Hamas for the violence on October 7th? How should we judge them? If someone asked me to condemn Hamas, I would say, what's the rush? Let's let history decide. You condemned Nat Turner, until you didn't. You condemned uh, Toussaint L'Ouverture, until you didn't. You condemned Nelson Mandela and the ANC, until you didn't, until he was a hero. You condemned uh, Mahatma Gandhi, until you didn't. You condemned Yasser Arafat and the PLO, until you gave Yasser Arafat a Nobel Peace Prize. Let's just wait and see, because you might change your mind on this one, too. Now, if you just take that on the surface, you know, you you want to wait and kind of hear out the evidence of different things. When somebody is charged with a crime or somebody does something really terrible, you know, we have an idea of innocence until proven guilty. And you might think somebody's guilty, but you got to be open to the evidence and you've got to really be able to to hear it. And you have to weigh political considerations that could be involved in different things. You have to weigh other things that might be happening. So you have a professor who says, well, it's too early to judge what Hamas did. Um, and then he makes these comparisons with other historical f- figures who at some point were seen in different lights. All right. And the thing is, is that if you follow this, 
And this is what I'm getting at. This is the kind of thing that might be taught to young people to say that these people are the same. So he says Nat Turner. Nat Turner led a slave revolt in 1831. And uh, Toussaint Louverture is the uh, Haitian general who was a prominent leader of the Haitian Revolution. Nelson Mandela, who was the leader of the, uh, I think it was African ANC, the African National Congress, is that what that's called? Um, and Gandhi and Arafat and... Uh, all these other people who people's opinions have fluctuated on them, although not entirely like Arafat for a while. Yes, they gave him the Nobel Prize and uh, that discredited the Nobel people, by the way. Nobel Prize for peace has not been the same since they gave it to Arafat. So they gave it to Arafat because as leader of the PLO, it looked like it looked like he was actually going to help bring peace between Israel and the Palestinians and uh, something amazing in the Middle East. And he was one signature away from an Israeli state that would have made Gaza and the West Bank, most of it, a, or I mean, a Palestinian state would have happened. And none of this would be going on today, potentially. And in all of those peace talks that were happening during the Clinton administration, he gets the Nobel Prize and this and that. But it turned out that at the end of it, he was still a terrorist, had no intention of signing that document because his belief is not that he wants peace, but ultimately wants the destruction of Israel. And he held to that belief. Arafat was never a good guy, never should have got that. It's not a there's. To to say that this you know what this professor says hey we gave him the Nobel Peace Prize we might have changed our mind about him well I think that prize was given as an incentive maybe to him but uh, it was ridiculous to do that with that prize Gandhi I'm not really sure why Gandhi is even in the list of this person Gandhi at first was had the idea of supporting. Um, certain uh, groups to help give freedom in India, but they got violent, and then Gandhi became a spokesperson for nonviolence, and certainly not a spokesperson for um, raping and murdering babies and uh, all of the stuff that we saw from Hamas. It doesn't work. Toussaint Louverture never did any of that, although he was violent in the uh, in the Haitian Revolution. Yes, that was a colonized nation, and uh, he never got to see the end of it, but he, he died in 1803, but he is usually given credit for that. Um, but when you go through all of these names, when you go through every one of these names, and I'm going to play it again, here's the thing is, is that none of this is even in the same realm of what's happening between Israel and Hamas. If someone asked me to condemn Hamas, I would say, what's the rush? Let's let history decide. You condemned Nat Turner until you didn't. Nat Turner led a slave revolt in 1831. It lasted a couple of days. It was very bloody, and he was executed ultimately. And But here's the thing. There's no comparison to what Nat Turner was about and slavery in America and Hamas. First of all, Nat Turner was actually a slave, and he was enslaved by white Southerners. He was never in a position where uh, American slaves were offered a country or where they all lived together, but they weren't getting their act together. It just, there's nothing here that is the same thing. He was not enslaved by other black people in the region. He, his revolt was motivated by the fact that he actually was in chains and he revolted. And the reason that some people, people don't generally 
say that what he did was okay. But what they do is acknowledge that because of the revolt that he led in 1831, there was an argument by white slaveholders, some of them, that actually people who were slaves enjoyed being slaves, that they wanted to be slaves, that they really didn't want to be set free. So at this point in our country, the abolitionist movement was heating up, and uh, we were moving closer and closer to civil war, and there were divisions now with North and, North and South, and the issue of slavery was getting worse and worse um, in the country. And some people who supported slavery, they wanted to say, no, no, they don't want to be freed. The slaves would like – they like being slaves. It was just stupid, obviously. Um, well, the Nat Turner slave revolt helped people really understand if anybody was fooled by that or if anybody was just fooling themselves by that, it helped them understand, no, that wasn't true because he got a lot of other slaves to go with him. And there was it was murderous and it was bloody and it was horrific what ended up even happening to him. It wasn't just in all of that, but it woke up a lot of people to the fact that slavery was evil that people who were slaves did not want to be slaves, which is a stupid argument. Obviously, they don't. But there is no comparison to Nat Turner or slavery to Hamas. And if you think there is, then you don't understand what's happening in the Gaza Strip. You don't understand the history of that. You don't understand that uh, multiple times throughout history, the Palestinians have been offered a state. They could have easily been a state by Palestine uh, Liberation Organization, uh, uh, Yasser Arafat, if he signs off on it, there have been multiple times. And in the Gaza Strip, anyway, the Israelis have left, pulled out all of their people since 2005. And they're, they have received uh, billions and billions of dollars from international organizations and countries like ours that rather than actually build a nation like they were supposed to, they built weapons and bombs and all these tunnels that we're getting to see blown up now. And it's just not the same thing. And Nelson Mandela, yes, in the early days where you actually have an apartheid government, a real apartheid government where the, the government is actually divided by race and that there are certain specific rights that uh, if you were black in South Africa, even though you were the majority of people, you were denied uh, basic civil rights by law. And it was a terrible form of government. And there was a point early on where Nelson Mandela and uh, his followers did some violent acts to uh, get out from under that. And they blew up some electric uh, you know, power plants and some people died. And it was, you know, there's violence and stuff, but nothing like Hamas did. There was never anything like that. And over time, as you know, Mandela was imprisoned and over time, um, there was a march towards peace and the removal of that policy eventually. There was never any statement that suggested that this type of person or people group should be utterly removed from the planet. There was no from the river to the sea. There was none of that. It's not the same. And what I'm getting at is this. We have an education system that by sleight of hand will compare one thing to another that are not actually comparable. And they'll try to throw everybody into the freedom fighter, freedom fighter bucket because if you take any oppressed person and then you say they're oppressed and they have a right to be violent against the oppressor, then the problem is, is that you then justify anything, as is being said by so many in our universities, by any means necessary, which is a horrific thing to say. And it's just not the same. And it didn't take very long to research every one of those people that this person mentioned to see what their story is, to recognize why some people look at the Nat Turner Slave Rebellion as an important part of eliminating slavery in our country. 
It doesn't justify what he did, but it's understandable, I think. Um, and then the rest of those guys, it's not even, uh, it's not the same at all. And and none of it is the same. It's just the the facts and the history and all of that, none of it's, none of it's right. All this is to say is, if you're a student and you're listening, it's okay to question and to investigate what your professors are saying. And if your professors are pushing an agenda, one that says that the world is made up of oppressed people or or people who are oppressing them and that the oppressed people, by any means necessary, can fight back against the oppressors, you know, the problem is that everybody becomes the oppressor eventually. And, you know, there is nothing that will support uh, what Hamas did in Israel. The rapes, the murders of babies, the kidnapping of people— and what has led to this terrible war that's happening there. And that doesn't mean you can't be uh, supportive or pray for or concerned about Palestinian people who are in Gaza. You should be. This is a terrible thing that is happening. But you can't compare this to slavery or to the Haitian Revolution or to what happened in South Africa or what happened uh, in these other areas of the world because they're not at all the same. It just isn't. I hope that's helpful just with the conversations, if you're having tension with family or friends, you know, as those things to, if you look into it, I think you can at least find some agreement maybe and get closer to the truth about things. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can watch us right now at kkla.com. You can follow me on social media at Pastor Scott Show, uh, Facebook X and uh Facebook, X, and Instagram at Pastor Scott Show. We're going to be back with Andy Bales from the Union Rescue Mission as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Our timeline has changed um, with the extraordinary work of the men and women you see behind me, the carpenters, the laborers, teamsters, the cement masons, 30 new carpenters on site in the last 24 hours with the outstanding work of Griffith and security paving and their teams. They got ahead two days on the debris removal, allowed them to move more quickly uh, to retrofit uh, the structure you see behind me. And as a consequence, uh, one thing we can guarantee you is we will be open five lanes in both directions at the latest Tuesday of next week. That was Governor Gavin Newsom last Friday, surprising everybody in uh, Los Angeles by saying that the uh, freeway would be open up the 10 freeway that had been shut down because of a fire. Then they said it would be three to five weeks, and then all of a sudden it would be open by uh, tomorrow. In fact, it's open today, and uh, people have been going over that uh, freeway, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> you know, I always wondered, I thought, you know, who's, not always, but since Friday, who's going to be the first? Do you let the other people go ahead for you to drive over that thing? Uh, you know, I think it opened on uh, Sunday night, I think, is when that opened up. Lots of people believe, uh, although it's somewhat debated, that homeless people underneath the freeway um, started a fire that uh, spread to destroy much of the freeway. And uh, it's the land is owned by somebody, and there's lawsuits going back and forth, of course, with, with all of that. But uh, we're... We're glad that the freeway is open, and uh, we hope that um, it, they're able to fix everything and uh, and deal with all of that. Uh, with me to talk about uh, what's going on with the homeless people here in Los Angeles is our good friend Andy Bales. Andy Bales, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Andy, uh, your mom passed away this weekend, and I just want to say I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad that you were able to be there uh, with her. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, it was good to good to be here, but it was a tough experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm real sorry about that. You're in Iowa, is that right? That's where she was? Yeah, I'm in Clive, Iowa. I just wrote up her obituary and submitted it to the Des Moines Register today with input from my from my family and Yeah. Andy is the CEO and president of the Union Rescue Mission here in Los Angeles. And, uh, Andy, it is good to have you on again, even though you are uh, retiring and moving out there. Yeah, and uh, we were just together deep-frying turkeys. We were. So how did this go? Um, how did this go on uh, Friday from uh, your perspective? I had a great time. The Pastor Scott Show was at the Union Rescue Mission for the whole show on Friday as you guys fried turkeys, 300 and some turkeys. So how did the weekend go? I guess the I guess the deep frying went very well, and the, and the hospitality was at its highest spot ever. Richard Baker, our chief operating officer, he... Uh, he COO, he really did a fantastic job, and uh, everybody did. But we had chandeliers, and the guests felt dignity. I guess some of the guys in the in my discipleship program were were crying tears because of the wonderful hospitality they experienced. Yeah, the room that uh, we were in was right by the door, but we were inside in the cafeteria area. And uh, for anybody watching on the uh, the live stream, you know what's interesting is when we set it when we set it up, Andy, people were in there eating, and all the tables were set up like normal. And uh, we thought, okay, this will be good, and people kind of get an idea of what's happening if they happen to be watching the live stream, which you can at kkla.com. And uh, but then they they cleaned the floor, they cleaned off all the tables, all the tables were gone. They cleared the floor, all the chairs, all the tables, mopped the floor. But what they started to do was turn it into a ballroom, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was a beautiful thing. There were big old chandeliers and uh, you know uh, fabric that was draped all across the room, and it looked amazing in there. Yeah, it really did. I I regretted not being there to experience it, but you know, being being there as part of your radio show helped a bunch, and getting pictures sent by my teammates and posting them on social media helped me feel like a a big part of it all. But, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you could be there. How many people were, were served ultimately on this weekend? I believe it was close to 3,000. About 3,000 people. And uh, it began with the people who were residents at the rescue mission, and then uh, people on the street were able to come in. Is that right? Yeah, I think at 3 o'clock they opened the doors, and everybody from the streets was able to come in. And, and an extra treat, you know, first time really since COVID that we didn't just hand out a meal at the side door and let them go. And uh, mm. that, that's something I've wished for to come back for a long time. And Richard Baker and team, uh, they made it happen. So very proud of those guys. And they've added so much to our hospitality at Union Rescue Mission. And we want to keep, keep lifting up our hospitality to affirm people's dignity and share Christ with them through our hospitality and wonderful meals. I heard the food was good. I heard my my mom's uh, green bean casserole that uh, was listed on the menu. Grandma Bale's green bean casserole was a hit. 
as well as everything else. And the deep fried turkey, you can't you can't beat deep fried turkey. So no, you can't as long as it doesn't explode and burn down the neighborhood. But yeah, uh, and you know, a fireman just showed how that happens and. And once again, 19 years never happened. Never happened. And, you know, and pe- for people listening out there, hey, if you're going to deep fry your turkey, Andy's right. It's great. It's amazing. But be careful. Make sure you know what you're doing and don't just assume you know what you're doing. Don't put in a wet turkey, an icy turkey. Don't drop it in. Right. Ease it in. Let it warm up. And something about the lid. You're not supposed to fasten now, the lid. Don't, yeah, make sure the lid's ajar and don't do it inside your garage. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of rules out there. I read one place that the, uh, the 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 last word, according to insurance companies, the majority of people's final words are, I know what I'm doing. And uh, so, so don't assume that you know what you're doing when you're coming into, uh, especially if you're going to deep fry a turkey. Um, yeah. Yeah. Andy, you know, as you... Uh, as you leave us here, and uh, if you're you're listening to the Pastor Scott Show, this is uh, my guest is Andy Bales from the Union Rescue Mission. You can learn more at urm.org. Andy, what do you as you think about homelessness in uh, Los Angeles and Southern California? What are the messages that uh, you hope to share with people as uh, this transition happens? Well, this is still an urgent situation. We can't continue to leave people. On the streets, we can't continue to allow gangs to operate behind the scenes, destroying lives through the drug trade. And we've got to move back to options for recovery, for immediate triage housing, and for creative, innovative, immediate, imaginative housing options like Mm. 3D printed concrete homes and container homes and prefab homes and mobile homes and about 300 square foot tiny homes, not the 64 square foot homes that don't make a good permanent home, but a, but a tiny home with a bathroom and a kitchen uh, could work yeah. and many other options, but we can't continue to build the nearly million dollar units for a few while we leave tens of thousands to, to suffer and die on the streets. I don't know if people even realize that that is what is happening, that the as we're talking about housing, and there's a philosophy that uh, you and I disagree with uh, called housing first, um, but it's not really shelter first. It's to build a very expensive home. They're, what, seven or $800,000 each? And, yes, and up. Yeah, yeah and up. And it's hardly getting anybody off the street. Well, in the meantime, as you describe it, you don't want to just have the little, I think you said it was 64 square feet, the little shacks. I've seen those. Um, but Because they're not really a home. It's more of a shelter. But you can build a tiny home relatively inexpensively that actually has a restroom, a shower, and uh, a comfortable place to, to be uh, for an individual. Absolutely. I just got an ad about another one, Ozark. Mm-hmm. cabins or something 300 yeah. square feet and uh, send it to Richard Baker our COO and you know there are all options that are out there yeah and, uh, we have to pursue them Andy what do people how do people communicate that to uh, our city and state leaders wherever they are in California that hey let's have let's have these creative housing options 
rather than these expensive uh, things that hardly uh, are helping anybody. Do as we've done and just speak the truth. Gather, gather the articles and share them with your local representatives, your city council, your county supervisor, your house of representatives, your California state representatives, and and uh, I guess be a constant uh, shadow and and nag in their ear to uh, remind them that things could go differently, and they do go differently in other. In other places, they, yeah. there are other cities that have very few people left on the streets, whereas Los Angeles has 70% of our homeless population suffering on the streets. That's right. No one comes close to that. And we're that. seeing that in all of our cities. Well, Andy, uh, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to thank you for uh, Friday and for everything that happened there. And uh, we want to encourage people to to give. You can give at urm.org to help people at the Union Rescue Mission, or maybe you live in a city, uh, San Diego or uh, Long Beach or whatever town you're in, where there's another good Christian rescue mission that you can give to that really helps people recover. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Scott, because Pastor Scott, because... Our giving is down at recession levels, whereas the need is tremendous, and we keep stepping up. And in order to keep stepping up, we're going to have have to have our partners join with us. Go to URM.org and make a gift of any amount. No amount is too small or too large, and we greatly appreciate your support. Andy Bales, thank you for being with me today on the Pastor Scott Show. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you, Pastor Scott. All right. God bless. That's Andy Bales. You can go to urm.org to give or to learn more about the Union Rescue Mission here in Los Angeles. And maybe you live closer to one. Check it out this holiday season. Be ready to give. He's right. Giving is down everywhere. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. What advice do you have for people who want to make it last? First of all, choose the right person to marry. And uh, every night, we try to make sure we we are completely reconciled from all the arguments during the day uh, when we go to bed. We also read the Bible every night. And we've done that for 60 years, probably. So never go to bed angry. Try not to. Try not to. That was uh, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Jimmy talking about um, how they kept their marriage around for nearly eight decades. And uh, Rosalind Carter passed away. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter passed away uh, this weekend. And uh, it is... You know, if you've been alive for a long time, she was she was 96. If you remember the Carter administration, I was just a kid. So many of you uh, might remember the Carter administration. I remember because I was a nerd even when I was a kid. Also, we only had three stations, and every time Jimmy Carter was giving a speech or press conference or something, he took over all three stations, and that was really annoying as a child. Um, but Rosalind Carter, I remember her too. And, you know, I, I she said that, Jimmy Carter didn't really like the politics of being in politics, but it's interesting that she loved it. 
she said that she loved the interaction. She loved the whole back and forth that sometimes people support you and sometimes they don't. And one election they vote for you, another election they don't vote for you. She loved all that. Jimmy Carter didn't like all of that. Anyway, she passed away. She was 96 at uh, their home in Plains, Georgia. And... um, you know, I don't know if you have any uh, memories you want to share, 888-528-2557. I almost got to meet both of them once, and I think maybe I scared them away, actually, because I was at the Carter Library. I love to go to presidential libraries. I've been to eight or nine of them now, and they keep adding new ones, which is annoying because i got to get to them somehow. But I've been to many. And uh, the Carter Library I've been to several times because I used to go out to a pastor's conference every year in Atlanta. And it's in Atlanta. And I actually would lead some pastors on a, I called it a a leadership tour of Atlanta. And there were different spots that we would end up in, and Civil War spots. And we went to um, the Martin Luther King Center, which is also amazing. And it's not too far away from where the Carter Center is, actually just a couple miles away as the crow flies. And, um, you know, we'd compare the leadership of Martin Luther King Jr. and Jimmy Carter, and uh, it was an interesting conversation always with people. Um, so one time I'm by myself, actually, at the Carter Library, and I'm at presidential libraries. You know, we've got two of them here in Southern California. We've got the Reagan Library in uh, Simi Valley and the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda. And I highly recommend them. It's not a library like, if you've never been, like books on the shelf type of things, okay? They, there's a section of the... Uh, of these places where research is done on that presidency. But really, it's a museum. Uh, the Nixon Library, in fact, uh, has the house he was actually born in is right there. Like, he literally born in the house that's right there. You can go tour that that place. So if you're into that, it's kind of interesting, and there's a whole lot of really good perspective that you get on uh, history of our country when you do that. The Carter Library is uh, in Atlanta, and... So I'm standing out in front of it. They told me it was his birthday, and they told me if I stick around, I'll get to meet him, that he's going to come in. So, oh, okay, I'll hang out here for a while. You know, you always want to meet a president or first lady or whoever. And uh, so they pull up in this car, and it's a Lincoln Town car. It's maybe 10 years ago. And there's a driver in the front seat, and Jimmy and Rosalind are in the back seat. And I'm standing all by myself. Out in front of the library is kind of this this area where you can drive, what's it called, uh, a roundabout is what it's called. Um, and I don't like roundabouts in the road, but this is, it's not really on the road, it's just kind of a parking lot, I think a flagpole in the middle or something. And I'm standing there in the corner and they pull up and I'm probably 20 feet away maybe, but I could tell it's them in the car and I've got this camera I'm holding on to and I'm going to take a picture. I'm like, oh, I'm going to meet uh, President Carter. How about that? And they just sat there staring at me and I sat there staring at them. And we just waited for the longest time, and then they drove off, and they drove around, and they went in the back door of the library. And I thought, what? that was just the oddest thing that happened. And then I went back in the library, and they had just learned that, yes, he's in the library, that he came in the back door, and he's not going to actually visit with anybody in the library, like he said. And they were mad. Um, That was the closest I got, anyway, uh, to being with them. But, you know, when you take a look at... Uh, the people who end up in leadership, whether you voted for them or not, whether you agree with them or not. There's a lot of things I don't agree with with President Carter. Um, you um, you realize that they really did a service one way or the other for our country, that uh, it's one thing to complain about them and be an armchair quarterback politically, but it's another to sacrifice your privacy, to sacrifice 
really the rest of your life. And it's a very stressful job. They always have those pictures of presidents and how stressed they look after their terms, right? How different they look, how much they age. Jimmy Carter is the oldest living president. She and Rosalind was the oldest living uh, vice uh, vice president. Some people thought that's what she did, but that's not actually what she did. She would go to cabinet meetings. People don't know that. So people thought, uh, often criticized her for that. But Jimmy Carter's attitude about his marriage was that he wanted her around, and uh, people criticized them for that. He said this. He said, for me, as Rosalind and I approach our 75th wedding anniversary, this a few years ago, uh, coming up in July, a couple of years ago, my home is wherever she is, whether in South Georgia or South Sudan, holding her hand, reading our Bible together each night, falling asleep next to her. Uh, that is my home. And, uh, you know, those are really great things if you can say that about your spouse uh, of 70-plus years, almost 80 years. Uh, They got married pretty young. And, you know, when you're 1946, they got married. That was a a long, long time ago. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Lucinia, is that right, in Inglewood? Yeah, Lucinia, right. Hi, Lucinia. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Lucinia, yeah. Um, uh, I called to give my, my condolences to President Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter, and his family on the passing of his wife, Rosalind Carter. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For, I'm sorry about her passing. So. Yeah. So I, I think about them. I think about them every now and then, but it's 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 it's. I have, I think, I believe I have fond memories of them both together when Aiden, when he was, when he was president. Yeah, she was always by his side. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I was six years old when, um, when Jim Carter became president of the United States in 1977. Yeah. Yeah, you're about the same age as I am then. I remember that uh, at the time. For whatever reason, I was interested as a little kid. Yeah, I was yeah. not in the process to now. Yeah. So, well, my, my, one of my favorite subjects is history. Yeah, well, good for you. History tells us a lot about uh, where we're headed, actually. So, good for you for, for exactly. studying that. They got these liberals who are definitely rewriting history. You know, that's why it's yeah, important to know history, because people do try to rewrite it. They got professors and teachers that are brainwashing the students. Yeah. That's tragic. Yeah, it is. Well, we need to pray about that. I want to go to some other calls, Lucinia, but I thank you for calling and uh, being a part of the, the show. Byron in Long Beach, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, how do? I'm good, Byron. How are you? I'm well, well. Take your breath. Uh, as a matter of fact, just to add to the topic about Jimmy Carter and along the lines of homelessness, you know, he was a man that was at the, the pinnacle of the political you know, pyramid, and here he is, when he got out of the White House, he was building homes for the homeless. Yes. I mean, that's commendable. Yeah, and Rosalind was a part of that, too. It was something they both did. It was something that the Carter Center did. And, you know, it's it's an interesting thing, Byron, when you, if you ever get a chance to go, have you been out there to Atlanta, to the library there? Yeah. No. If you ever get a chance no. to do that, you know, he, his presidency was a difficult one. And most people think not a very good one. But his post presidency uh, wasn't was very good. 
and one of the things that they did was they built the Carter Center. And it's had some problems in recent years, but for a long time, they did a lot of good work internationally, particularly with waterborne illnesses and really saving lives of people. And you're right, just locally, uh, he was present to build houses with Habitat for Humanity and uh, with people all the time. They say that, in fact, Jimmy and Roslyn uh, fly coach whenever they fly, and you can just go and say hello. And, uh, He's a great man. Yeah, those are some pretty good things there. Byron, thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. Anyway, we wanted to uh, to mention that, and, um, you know, I know that not everybody, you know, it's a political figure. Sometimes you want to think about the things you disagree with or agree with, but uh, the time of somebody's passing, you want to take a look at the things that they did that uh, really matter. And, you know, I'll bet that there's a lot of people living in homes that they built uh, who are thinking of them in a non-political way in some ways today. You know, and I like to say, we bring this up a lot on our show, that showing up matters, that if you are concerned about the poor, being there matters. And sometimes you show up by giving money, but there's also something about being present. And whether you're going to feed the homeless at a homeless shelter for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or any other time of year, or if you're going to do a habitat build, or if you're going to be in any other organization that really is helping people and you're physically there, there is something great that it does for everybody involved because it's relational. It is an opportunity to demonstrate with your actions what Jesus has called us to do. It is an important thing to do. I recommend for everybody to find some kind of mission to be involved in that puts you in a position of of really helping people who need help, and that is relational, and that does something. Rosalind Carter passed away, uh, 96 years old. Jimmy Carter, the oldest living uh, president, um, and uh, he he was in hospice care a while ago, and they kicked him out. I guess he's uh, stubborn about all of that, Um, but we certainly wish uh, that family well, all right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and uh, you can call up and share something that you're thankful about or thankful for. We're going to talk about the difference between Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving, and there is a difference that matters quite a bit. And, you know, if we have some time or maybe we'll put it together, I'd love to hear, what do you have any Thanksgiving meal disasters from previous years? Something fun, you know, to share about, because sometimes it is, you know, sometimes things don't quite work out, and uh, you can share those stories for fun. Eight eight. Eight five two eight two five five seven. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can follow me at Pastor Scott Show, Facebook, X, and Instagram. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 